Lord, your name, Lord, your name is great. Your name is greatly to be praised, and we praise your holy name, Lord, tonight. You are high and lifted up. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord someday. I pray that those over the internet, those that are here today, will gladly get on their knees and bow before your great name, the name above all names, the name by which we are all saved, the name by which we have seen you, Father, through your Son, Jesus, because he is the radiance of your glory. Father, he's the exact representation of your nature, and he upholds everything, Father, by the word of your power. And Lord, tonight, we pray that we hear him as he speaks to us through the person of his Spirit. Speak to us loud and clear. Let us hear what your Holy Spirit has to say, and let us take it out to the world and apply it. And may we turn this community upside down along with the world. Lord, we praise your holy name. Lord, I want to lift up our missionary down in Brazil. We sent down to Brazil a couple of months ago, three months ago. Lord, Matt's back from a break of 10 days where he preached in two different churches that I know of. Lord, and now he's back in the YWAM camp, Lord, teaching English to the Portuguese-speaking nation. And Lord, training them how to speak English so that they can go out and win people over to Christ in English-speaking nations of the world. Many nations, a common language is English, Lord. And these missionaries that he's teaching, Lord, they're going to be going out and winning souls to who knows what part of the world, India, Japan, and, and several other different nations. And, Lord, we lift Matt up to you. Use him in a mighty way for your glory. And amuse the kids, the people, the young people that he's training, Father God, to, to go out and win souls. Lord, tonight we pray that your Holy Spirit will be speaking to each and every one of us the way what we need to be spoken to about. And, Lord, may you receive the glory for it. Lord, as we break open your word tonight, we pray that, that you would speak loud and clear, that it would enter into our heart. Your word would enter into our, into our heart, not just go in one eye and out the other, but applied to our life. Help us, Holy Spirit, to do so. In Jesus' holy name, amen and amen. Again, God bless you, everybody out there on, at the church and out over the Internet. We're glad you're here. Um, you're, to, you're listening to the Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're in Lantana, Florida, just across the street from Boynton Beach, the north border. Just uh, We're on High Paluxo Road, just a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. So, listen, if you're local, just hop on 95, go to High Paluxo Road, get off, head west a quarter mile, and we're on the right-hand side, 2810 High Paluxo Road. Many people have done that. People in the area have walked in the door not knowing Jesus. When they got here, they said, I never heard this before. We show them from the Bible how to be saved, and many people have taken us up on that. Some of them are already gone. They're already in heaven. You know, it's amazing what God has done, even with a, a small church like us, just in our location. God has his churches in everywhere, all over the world, even in our community, and they have their own special little niche. And that's one of our niches right here where people just walk in off the community, get saved, you know, stay and get discipled and move out 
and then some of them stay around, some of them end up in missions, and we thank the Lord for that. We've been, we're, uh, I love supporting missionaries, and we do, for a small church, we do quite well with that. Um, listen, um, I want you to know that you can go to our website, here it is, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb stands for Palm Beach, dot org, and you can check out our services times, you can check out our address, you can listen to uh, our services from years past, you can check out our ministries, you can even give online should you see fit to do so. For those of you that are part of our church, you know, uh, make sure to you, you know, your tithe goes to your church, so if we're your main church you listen to, we are your church, and your tithes should go there, gifts and offerings go to the churches that, that help, you know, uh, what can I say, edify the messages that we've been putting forth from the, from the pulpit here. I want you to know that it's all about Jesus here. He came, he died according to the scriptures. He was uh, buried for three days, and the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That's actually 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first uh, three to five uh, verse 3 to verse 5, you know, that's the, the gospel in a nutshell. And that's what we preach here, Jesus Christ, crucified, dead, risen. And uh, we're going to go and tell the world if the Lord would open up the doors to do so. Listen, um, you can even, did I say you can give online? Yes, I did, I think. Well, anyway, if you're in the local area, stop by and see us. We also have a men's Bible study, which is quite um Really, really good. Several different churches are represented here. There's at least two uh, pastors there from other churches. And our pastor friend, Jim, part of our church, he's already out into the mission field. You know, uh, already he won't be back till October. So listen, we wanna, I should have prayed for Jim. We're going to do that right now. Father God, in Jesus' name, Jim's on his way all over the state of Florida, all over the country, up into Minnesota, Indiana, and all these different places that he's going to, preaching in some churches and actually helping out in there with things that these other ministries have going on that he does every year. Lord, he's going to tell people about Jesus. So bless his travel ministry and bless him and make divine appointments for him to lead people to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Father God, we thank you. Lord, that's about it. So we're in Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. We're glad you're here. Tune in Sunday at 10 a.m. We stream live. And Thursday night, 7.15, we stream live right here, freedomchurchpb.org. Or you can go to our website, and this will, you know, the message from tonight and Sunday will be posted shortly. So anyway, God bless you. We're glad you're here. Tune in Sunday. Amen. Come on by on Saturday. We have a good time together reading the Word of God. We're not just talking. We're trying to solve many of the issues of the world that have, haven't been solved all over, you know, throughout the eternity past here. But you know what? Um, we're finding out that nobody's wrong. Well, we're finding out that the same issues that were going on years ago are still being done today. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we, we haven't... Uh, all we know, it's, it's a gray area, so we, we, uh, we don't try to push our views on people, except when it comes to the gospel. Nothing else. You can't be saved by anything or anyone but Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried.
and risen. You know, it's not about your good works. It's about Jesus' precious blood that saved you, and you have received that blood. And that blood will save your soul. Listen, okay, what I mentioned earlier, we're in Philippians chapter 3 tonight. Philippians chapter 3, so get your Bibles, uh, tune in, um, tune in to Philippians chapter 3. This is the third chapter. We've already gone through chapter 1. It took us at least two weeks. We've gone through chapter 2. It took us at least two weeks. You know, chapter 3, you know, is, is um, rather a shorter chapter, but, you know, it's a deep chapter. And I titled this message, and you'll get it, you know, what chapter this is when I just say what, uh, what I titled this is pressing on toward the goal. We have the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. And he's still pressing on towards the goal. And tonight we're going to find out what that goal is, you know, if you don't know it already. So, Philippians 3, chapter verses 1 through 21. Let me read a few verses, and then we'll tackle them. Chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, I'm reading by from the uh, New King James Version, by the way. New King James. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But the things, things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss, for the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered a loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am, ready, am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things which are ahead, I press towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind 
If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in the shame, in their shame, who set their mind on earthly thing, things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly bodies, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Wow, I didn't intend on reading the whole chapter, but I found no good place to stop. It just runs, and it's a beautiful chapter. And it's, you know, you can see the spiritual maturity of Paul in this chapter. And something that we need to uh, obtain, a maturity in Christ. Paul is making a warning in the first three verses. He's saying, let me read that those first two verses again. Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Listen, beware of dogs, beware of workers, and beware of mutilation. Paul is talking about the Judaizers. The Judaizers were his big problems. Many people and maybe scholars actually think the Judaizers were the thorn in his flesh. It wasn't a physical thorn. They say this. It could have been a physical thorn. But they say the Judaizers were the thorn in his flesh. Everywhere he went, they followed him. Everywhere he went, they tried to stone him. And they did stone him. Everywhere he went, you know, they, they caused trouble. They even brought people from Thessalonica to the next city that he moved to to follow them to just harass Paul. They were looking for reasons to mess him up. So they could have been his thorn in the flesh, the Judaizers that just pestered him and pestered him and pestered him. Well, he's saying here, beware of dogs. He says, these peoples, these Judaizers are snapping at Paul's heels like a dog would snap at your heels. They're barking out false, false doctrines, and Paul's going to attack some of them here tonight in this chapter, as I just read. He's calling them dogs, which, you know, that's what the Jews called the Gentiles. It was a low blow. Paul's calling them the dogs. You know, he said, beware of evil workers. They perform good works in their flesh, not by the Spirit of God. You know, Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Paul, as we read through the chapter, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised the eighth day. You know, he, he had everything going with him. He obeyed the law to the best of his ability. But as we got to the end of the chapter, you say, he counted all that junk as rubbish. It wasn't his righteousness. He thought it was his righteousness. And the Judaizers thinking the same thing. And there's even people today that think that, that your righteousness is going to get you to heaven. And that isn't going to happen. There is none righteous. No, not one, Paul wrote. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know what? Paul's going to blow apart your self-righteousness. Your self-righteousness, Isaiah 64. You know what? I'm going to turn there. I'm going to read it to you. You know, but we are all like an unclean thing. Every human being. In other words, you're a sinner. This is Isaiah writing. We are all like an unclean thing. We're unclean. And all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Your sin, your iniquities, will lead you straight to hell unless you're cleansed in the blood of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm not going to win many people out there by preaching, you know, this. But you know what? I'm not going to stop preaching. I don't care if there's one person in this church. I'm going to preach the same thing because I'm not going to tickle your ears with nonsense. Your self-righteousness does not save you. If it did, why would Jesus come to earth? You know, God is the most intelligent being in the universe. And if he says you can't be saved by your righteousness, you know, you can't be saved by your righteousness. That's all there is to it. God is not going to take a polluted bottle of water and put it in his kingdom, and neither is he going to take a polluted with sin so-called saint that is polluted with sin, unless that, unless your sin, iniquities, and transgression are washed in the blood of Christ. See, that's one thing God chooses not to, to do, is he can't see your sin through the blood of his Son that covers and washes you completely clean. You know, Paul wrote it, and he says, if, no, it's John, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Actually, that should read, if he, can, if he confess your sins, you've got to look at the verbs in Greek, okay? And he says, if you read the verbs in Greek, and unfortunately, you know, the English language doesn't do that in most cases. Here, but here's what that should say if you go by the Greek verb. All, all our right, let's see. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to continually wash your sins away. Continually. The verb is continually. So it gives you a more depth to this verse. Okay? Listen, I mentioned it to the men on Saturday. They were asking a question. You know, if, if I'm doing something, and if I'm sinning, when Jesus comes back and the second well, the rapture, would I go to heaven? I said, you know what? I think, this, this is true, I think if Jesus comes back, every one of us would probably be caught in a sin. So whether you're telling a little white lie on the telephone or you're even ha having, you know, a horrible sin going on, you know, and you're caught right in it, you know what? You would be left behind if the blood of Christ didn't continually wash over you. Because as soon as you get saved, you accept Jesus as your Savior, that probably within the next 30 seconds you're in the sin. Might be a thought or something quick. But listen, we just can't do it. We need the blood of Christ. And Paul is saying this in a roundabout way, and he's going to, I'm going to show you deeper ways as we go into it. So he calls them dogs because they're always snapping at his heels. They could very well be the, the, the thorn in his side. 
evil workers, he calls them. You know, they perform good works in the flesh. You want to perform good works in the spirit. Okay, they're enemies of the cross. They taught circumcision was necessary for conversion to Christianity. Now, we, you, we know this today, that circumcision is not necessary to be a Christian. Fortunately, the world has, pretty much the world has adopted, especially the Christian denominations, that when, when the child is born, you know, they are circumcised when a male child is born. Because, well, it's a health issue, too. And it's, wise, it's, it's good that it's done. But it's not being done because you're going to get saved by it or because in order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised. You can be uncircumcised men and be a Christian. You don't need to do it because we're going to see circumcision now is of the heart and it's not made by human hands. God circumcises us in the heart, not with human hands. So we got to see, the Old Testament is, is in more fleshly. The New Testament is more spirit. It's more spirit. They're enemies of the cross. They're Paul's winning converts over to them, over to Jesus, and then the Jews, Judaizers are coming along, and they're saying, you can't be a Christian unless you're circumcised. That's not true. Not true. Your circumcision is circumcision of the heart, we're going to see that as we move on. It's circumcision of the heart made without hands. So you know that a priest or a doctor has to circumcise somebody, and the hands are involved, but God's going to circumcise your heart in a spiritual way. And he's, he's actually saying, beware of their mutilation, because they're enemies of the cross. Their bellies were their gods, and they were proud of what they should have been ashamed of. Listen, by telling a new convert, like a Gentile, most of them weren't circumcised, to be, call them that you can't be a Christian unless you get circumcised was to drive them away from the cross. Because most men wouldn't want to do it, especially if you're in your you know, early teens and onward. Forget it. You know? Um, and actually, Paul was saying, i got to say this carefully, Circumcision is healthy, but you're not saved by physical circumcision. And Paul is actually calling it a mutilation here. Because in the Judea, Judea, in Judaism, the kids are, sacked, are, are uh, circumcised the eighth day. And the reason why God had that in the law is because doctors know today that vitamin K is the... Is, is, at its highest point, at when a male child is eight days old. And vitamin K is a blood coagulant. And that's why God put it in the scriptures, in the law, that the man-child man should be circumcised the eighth day so that he doesn't bleed to death or bleed too much. Because God had children on the eighth day be loaded with vitamin K. Today, the doctors don't do that because medicine has advanced. But God was protecting his children back then, just as he's protecting us today, by giving us doctors that we can go to and seek some of their wisdom. It's no longer necessary. So you can be a Christian, men, without being circumcised. The circumcision is now of the heart. 
Okay, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Paul is saying, listen, I've been, when, I've been beyond you guys. Here's what he says. Four points about Christians here is, we are the true circumcision. So from now on, the circumcision is not the Jews, it's the Gentiles and the Jews who believe. Because there, listen, here's Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But he who is a Jew, which is one inwardly, okay, get it? Inwardly, not outwardly of your flesh. Then the circumcision that is of the heart in the spirit and not of the letter. Oh, that's the letter of the Mosaic law. Those praise whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, circumcision now, Paul is telling the Roman church and us today that, you know, that, that, you're Jew inwardly because your heart has been circumcised. You know, what is circumcision? It's cutting away of the flesh. You know what spiritual circumcision is? It's the cutting away of, of the flesh from your heart, the carnality from your heart. It's the cutting away. That's why when you're born again, you see things differently. You've now been circumcised in heart, not in flesh. If you go, go to get physical circumcision, you're not going to see anything different. But when you're spiritually circumcised, born again of the heart, you're going to say, whoa, what has happened here? It is real. Jesus is true. He did rise from the dead. He was crucified. You're going to see things like that. You're the true circumcision because you're, you were circumcised inwardly. Romans 2.29. Number two, about four points of the Christian life. We are worshipers in spirit. Remember what Jesus told the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman who she, he wasn't allowed to talk to being a Jew. Jesus was, he wasn't, he wasn't going to follow their stupid traditions. He was going to follow his heart, which was to win all people over to himself so that they would believe in his death, burial, and resurrection so what did he tell the woman? She said to him, oh, the Jews say that, that uh, you can only worship the Lord in Jerusalem, but we say that you can worship the, the Lord in Gerizim here because, you know, Moses or Abraham built a well here. And Jesus told her, verse 24 of John chapter 4, he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. See, you don't have to go to temple to worship the Lord. You don't have to go to, to Mount Moriah in, in Jerusalem. You don't have to go to Mount Gerizim. You don't have to go to Mount Everest. You don't even have to go to church. But you're commanded to go to church because we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the habit of some, but to encourage one another and all the more as the time draws near. And I'll tell you what, you look at the world, you look at the newspaper, you turn on the radio or the TV, and you want to shut it off immediately because things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. The time is getting near, church. It's time to make your decision and follow after Christ. 
We can worship the Lord in spirit and truth. I can worship him in the car driving down the road or sitting at a red light. You know, we can worship him at church. You need to go to church because you can't get fellowship and encouragement over the Internet. It's nice. Yeah, yeah I, I watch several people on the Internet, several pastors that are well-known, been around for 50, 60 years. Yeah, I love to watch it, but I don't go to their church. And if I, if I did, I wouldn't have to come to this church because I would have fellowship here or there. Listen, you get encouragement, exhortation, you know, at the church. People love on you. People pray with you. You don't get that over the Internet. That's why the Lord had Romans 10, 24, and 25 put in the Bible, or is it 9? Listen, you must fellowship with one another. Don't take this as a way to stay home. Because I'll tell you what, this is the truth. If I, if I want to see a, Christian, a weak Christian, all i got to do is look at a Christian that just watches it on TV. You get deeper war, uh, teaching at church because you're not only seeing it, you're hearing it, you're being encouraged by it, and you maybe sometimes you're even being prayed, praying about it. Listen, you show me a Christian that won't go to church, and I'll show you a shallow or weak Christian. I'm telling you the truth, and I know you might not like that, but let's, let's face it, the more you eat, the more, and the more you eat spiritually, the more spiritual-like you will become. Number three, Paul says, we rejoice. Four points about Christians here. We rejoice in Christ. What did Philippians say? Next chapter, when we get to Philippians 4.4, 4, here's the verse. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We're to rejoice always. You know what? Even with something bad, even if you got fired from work. You know what? You can rejoice always. I know people that got fired from work, and they were rejoicing, and they got hired to a better job within a week or two. Listen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He didn't say sometimes, always, in all things. So, number four points about Christians here is we should put no confidence in the flesh. No confidence in the flesh. Here's 2 Corinthians 15. I'm going to start. I'm going to turn there. 2 Corinthians uh, 15. I'm going to start 2 Corinthians uh, 5. I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15 through 17. Okay? Remember, this is put no confidence in the flesh. And he died for all. Who is that? Jesus. That those who live should live no longer for themselves. That's the flesh. But for him who died for them and rose again. You're not supposed to live for yourself. You are now crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you, Galatians 2.20. That's a, that's a takeoff on this verse. But for you to live for him who died for them and rose again, that is none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him not any longer. 
You know what? Paul was saying, you know, basically what the apostles were saying, we heard him, we touched him, we kissed him, we broke bread with him. You know, he's saying, listen, you're going to know Jesus in a deeper way now because now you know who he is. You know who he truly is. He was the Messiah that rose from the dead. So you can, you know, you can't look at him like he is, you know, like like when, when he walked the physical earth. Now he's sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me. Interceding for you and me. That's what he's doing. It's the Holy Spirit doing the work down here now. Father was the administrator of this new covenant. Jesus is the revelation of the Father and the Holy Spirit is the operation of the Father in this world today. So that's when you see it's the Spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. So he is at work down here. And then verse 17. Therefore, if everyone, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. You remember that verse? The old things have passed away and all things become new. You're no longer you anymore. You died. I actually believe that God gave you a new name when you were saved. I, you know what? My name is, is Joe, but I would, bet, I would bet my bottom dollar that my name called out by the Lord. If he says, if he isn't going to say, hey, Joe, he's going to say, hey, Joseph. You know, I just know it. I just know it. But I believe you know, we've changed. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. All things have become new. You were crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So that's what we got. We got four points about the Christian life here. We are, tr- the, we are the believers, whether you're a Jew or Gentile believer, we are the true circumcision circumcised in the heart, not in the flesh. And that means women too. The Old Testament circumcision of the flesh was for males only. Women have to be, I, I hit it on Sunday. You know what, a lot of times when it comes to, you know, all men are created equal, equal is, you know what really that word would probably be in Greek or Hebrew, if all men, all mankind are created equal. That means woman and man, because a woman is a man with a womb. That's the only difference. And she has a different responsibility before the Lord. She, she, that doesn't mean she's weak because she's a woman. I know women that are stronger than, than men, physically and spiritually. Matter of fact, I know a lot more spiritually. I'll tell you what. You know what? We've got to get over this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, or male nor female when it comes to spiritual spirituality. There is no male and female. When we get to heaven, remember the question asked to him, you know, when we get to heaven, who's going to be? You know, he, the man was married seven times. Whose wife will she be? And he says, in heaven, they're not, they're, they're not married. They're like the angels in heaven. They have no sex, but they'll be addressed as a male. Angels are always addressed as a male, and they're never seen as a female. And by the way, when they come to earth, they're never seen with wings. They're seen in Isaiah and Ezekiel and in the Scriptures. When they're in heavenly realm, they have wings. I think they trans- 
Just like we're going to be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, this mortality will put on immortality. We're going to be changed. Just like that. I think when they come into this realm, you know, they're changed. Or maybe, maybe there's angels without wings in heaven. We don't know. How many species of animals are there? I think there's something like 8,000. I'm not sure of that. But how many species of angels are there? Who knows? We know there's seraphim and cherubim. We know there's, there's an archangel. We know that there's a messenger angel like uh, Gabriel. We know Michael's an archangel. We know that Satan is a fallen angel. How many species of angels are there? We don't know. Verse 5, circumcision. Here's Paul saying that I am, what's he saying? He's saying that to have no confidence in the flesh, though I might have confidence, Paul's saying, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He's saying, listen, I was more of a Judaizer than anybody. Number one, in verse five, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, he was a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law. Paul is saying, Paul used to have confidence in the flesh before Christ. He had, before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, Acts chapter 9, he had confidence in his flesh. He thought for sure he was going to heaven because he was circumcised the eighth day. He was the stock of Israel. You know, he was, he was uh, a tribe of Benjamin. He spoke the right language. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Hellenizer. He was a Hellenistic Jew. Well, that means he was a Greek-speaking Jew. And whenever the, whenever the Romans took him and he got up the steps as they were taking him away from the crowd so they wouldn't kill him, he began to speak in Hebrew. And it shocked the crowd so much, they, they shut up. They wanted to throw stones and kill him, and the Roman armies protected him. But when he started speaking in Hebrew, so we know that he's at least bilingual. I wouldn't doubt if he knew Latin. Paul, he was a very intelligent man. He was the perfect man for the job. He was a, for, for the job to preach the gospel. He was, he was actually, you know, born a Jew, but he was actually a Roman citizen. You see that? That paid, you know what? He would have been flogged and whipped and beaten so badly, but he appealed to Rome because they weren't going to, you know, no Roman could be crucified. It was such a horrible death that Roman citizens, whether you were a mass murderer or not, would not be crucified. You would be killed another way. Paul was a, you know, a Greek-speaking Hebrew. He was even trained under Gamaliel, which we're going to see as we go down the road. And they said when Gamaliel died, he was like the spirit of the law, the Mosaic law. When he died, the glory left. Second Corinthians eleven twenty-two. I'll back this what we're saying here up with scripture. The, are they Hebrews? So am I, Paul's saying. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. He's saying, listen, I'm a juju. Acts 21.40 And when he had given 
him laces, Paul stood on the stairs, this is what I was talking about, beckoning with the with a hand unto the people and when there was made a great silence he spoke to them in a Hebrew tongue but he's a Hellenistic Jew he's Greek remember the remember in uh, Acts chapter 5 you know the Hellenistic Jews were 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 being treated different than the than the Hebrew Jews speaking um, Aramaic most likely so they were they they took a vote and took and called deacons I remember Philip was one of them well, that Paul was a Hellenistic Jew. So he came from a, a, a Greek-speaking culture. He knew the culture. He was, he's the perfect man that God chose for this. He spoke to them in a Hebrew tongue, and because he was a Hellenistic Jew, it threw the Jews off. So they sat there and listened, which actually saved his life. Acts 22.2 now. And when they heard that he speak in a Hebrew tongue to them, they kept silence the more... And he said to them, verse 22, I am verily a man which is a Jew born in Tarsus, the city of Cecilia, yet brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel, and taught according to the perfect manner of the Mosaic law of the fathers. And I was zealous towards God, as ye all are this day. He's saying, I was just like you. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. You know, people say that Paul wasn't married. But did you know a Pharisee? From my studies of Scripture, in order to be a Pharisee, you had to be married. So either his wife was dead or she rejected him whenever he fell, followed Jesus. We don't know. That's my thoughts on it. That's not Scripture. It's my thoughts. Paul says, I was a Pharisee, verse 5. Paul, on number 8 of my points, are, Paul was known for his zeal for defending Judaism. Here's first, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am the least of the apostles. And he's saved now when he wrote this. I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, and that I'm not worthy to be called an, called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. He's saying, listen, I was, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, and I'm not worthy to be an apostle. But God, the Lord himself, did anoint him as an apostle. And he says, I'm not even worthy because I persecuted the church. You remember that, he, you know, when they stoned Stephen, they threw their jackets down at the feet of Paul. He most likely was the instigator of this. He was the... A leader, most likely. He persecuted the church. And even Philip, not Philip, but um, say Stephen, was stoned to death. And Paul did it. He said, I'm not worthy to be an apostle. But, you know, thanks be to God, God showed him through the word, through, you know, him writing the word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, that he had been forgiving. He's dead. The old Paul the old Saul of Tarsus is dead, and now he's renamed what? Paul. That's the Greek-speaking name. Or the Roman, I'm not sure. It's Roman. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. Paul was known for his zeal. 13 and 14. For ye have heard of my conversion in times past in the Jews' religion. How 
that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. He's saying, I did it tremendous damage and profited in the Jews' religion above many of my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of the fathers. That means the law. He was saying, I was, I was like top gun here. I was the leader, you know, of, of persecuting Christians. I'm not worthy to be a Christian. You can check that out in Acts chapter 8, his conversion uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, 1 through 3, of how he persecuted the church, and you can see his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Paul kept the Old Testament cam- uh, commandments that as much as were humanly possible. Yet James tells us that if you fail in one point of the law, guess what? You're guilty of all. So that one that told the little white lie and the one that murdered somebody over here, they're all sinners. They're all sinners. So, verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Wow. That would be like Bill Gates turning around and giving everything away and just coming and following Jesus. Boy, we could use that right now because he's an idiot. I'll probably get sued for that, but (laughs) unbelievable. This money made him insane doing the things that he's doing. He ought to be ashamed of himself. And someday he will have to bow before Jesus. Paul thought his life was, was gain, but... You know, when he was persecuting the church, but now he knows it was a waste. It was useless. It was wasted life. It's just like I told you, I was 27 when I got saved. I, that 27 years were a waste to me spiritually. I did learn things, you know, in school and stuff like that, of course. But, you know, those years were a waste. Paul was saying, I suffered great loss. It could have been his wife, his children following Jesus. I don't know. Could have been. He might not have had, I mean, he might not have had children. We don't know. It's not said. Paul kind of stays away from those things, and rightfully so, because all he was interested in was preaching Jesus. And that's what every preacher and every human being that's a Christian should be concerned about, preaching Jesus. He said, I suffered loss. But let's go on and see, before we close here tonight, what he gained he counted all things lost, but wait till we see what he has gained. It, may, it might not be carnal, carnally, but we're going to see. Verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, the Mosaic law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Your righteousness is by faith. It comes from God. It's by faith in Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Paul is saying, in comparison to gaining Christ, 
all things were unimportant to him. He knows now he's headed to heaven. You're going to remember, Paul saw Jesus several times. He met him on the road to Damascus. He was blinded. He heard a voice but didn't see him. The other people that were with him, they heard mumbo-jumbo. They didn't understand. It was, it was uh, confusing to them. But Paul heard what he was saying. Paul even tells us, as many times that he gives his testimony, he says, um, why are you persecuting me, said Jesus. And he says, well, who are you? And listen, he said, Lord. He obviously knew something big was happening here. And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you are, you are persecuting. Whew. Paul got knocked off his socks right there. And I'll tell you, right there he met Jesus. And he was born again right that moment. And he went to the house where he was told to go. He was blinded for three days. He drank no water. He ate no food because he wanted to know Christ Jesus. And Ananias was sent to him. And God told Ananias, he said, well, Ananias told God, hey, I heard about this guy. Are you sure you want me to go to him? He's probably going to kill me. And then God said to Ananias, you go. He's a vessel of mine that I chose. I'm going to show him what great suffering he must have. He's going to have to do for me. Because? Probably because he persecuted the church of God. In comparison to gaining Christ, all things are unimportant in this world. I don't know if you know that, but I know that. Everything that I've ever done in this world, you know, is a bunch of rubbish compared to the excellency of knowing Christ Jesus, my Savior, my Lord. What Paul's gained in return for his loss. He gained, listen, number one, he gained a new knowledge. Now he has the excellency of knowing Christ. Now he truly knows God. The beginning of all wisdom or knowledge is the fear of the Lord. He found the true Lord, or the true Lord found him. Listen, Jim Elliot said this. Remember Jim Elliot, the, the Christian missionary? I think it was in the 40s or 50s. I think it was the 40s. He went down to the Indians in north north part of South America, I forget, Nicaragua or something. And he, he was killed by the Indians he was told to go to, along with three or four or five other of his missionary friends. Uh, here's what Jim Elliot said, and it's a common quote today. You've heard it quoted a hundred times. He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to keep what he cannot lose. And that is Paul, and that should be us. You know what? You could lose your house. You could lose your car. You could lose your job. You know what? But it's nothing because you can't lose your your the kingdom of heaven, once you're saved and you're truly saved, you have to be sure you're saved, church. You have to be truly saved. You, you will have a change in your personality. You will have a change in the things you do. You won't want to claim that you're a homosexual anymore. You wanna, won't want to claim that you're a drunk anymore. You won't want to claim that you're an adulterator anymore. You won't want to claim those things You'll be changed. 
You'll be, you may be stuck in, in, and need some deliverance from those things, but you will be changed and you will be trying to get away from them. And the rest of your life, you're going to be trying to, to change the way you live because you love Christ Jesus. So Paul gained a new knowledge. The new knowledge is you're not a fool if you give what you can't keep to keep what you cannot lose. Number two, Paul gained a new righteousness. He thought his righteousness was in himself by doing all these things the Judaizers do. You know, not breaking the law to the best of his ability. But he got a new righteousness. And it says here in verse 9, the righteousness of Christ from God. The righteousness which is from God by faith in Christ. Wow. So he gained a new knowledge. He gained new righteousness. He's no longer doing it to be saved. He's doing it because he loves Jesus now. Number three, Paul gained a new power. Listen to this. Verse 10 up here. That he may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, a lot of Christians today, they don't know the power of the resurrection. I'm going to have one of our church members this Sunday give a testimony that they called me up the other day, just yesterday, and told me this testimony about God healing their grandson like that. I'm going to have her give her testimony on Sunday. A lot of Christians today, here's what Paul said, he gained new power. He gained the same power that raised Jesus from the dead in himself, and so did you. And how many times did I say it before? You, you pray, a lot of us pray, give me a double portion of your spirit, Lord. Listen, you already have more than Isaiah, Ezekiel, Elijah, and Elisha ever had. Elisha had double portion of God's spirit. God's spirit lives in you. Boy, they, could, they wish and pray and hope that the Christ Jesus could live in them. Wow. We, you got a new power. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is, lives in you. You can do all things. There's nothing impossible for him who believes. Have faith in God. Believe that you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will happen, God would grant it to you because nothing is impossible for God. Wow. You know what else? He gained a new goal. He gained a new goal. It's heaven. He wasn't sure he's going to heaven. He gained a new prize. His, you know what? I did a memorial last week, last Saturday, less than a week ago, and I told them, you know, I was preaching out of John chapter 14. Jesus said, I, you know, if I, you know, um, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. He said, I'll come again and, and take you to myself. You know what? I told the, the people that were here, I said, you know what the prize in heaven is? You know what the goal is? You're going to see Jesus face to face. It's not that you want to see the crystal sea or the rainbow above the throne or the seraphim and cherubim or your uncle or your aunt or your mother or your father. You know, the greatest calling card to heaven is you're going to see Jesus Christ, the one that you love. 
and ones whose eyes are like fire, and his skin is like bronze. And as the song says, will I jump? Will I bow down? Will I speak? Will I sing? Will I be able to say anything at all? You're going to see Jesus face to face. That's the attraction of heaven. Your goal is seeing Jesus. That's what Paul's goal is, and that's what my goal is. Number five, Paul gained a new hope. A new hope. And here it is, written in this same chapter, the 21st verse. 20 and 21st verse. And I'm not done with this chapter, by the way. I thought I was going to get through it, but I'm not. But I want to put it, here's, here's what Paul gained. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? Paul was now not putting any confidence in the flesh, and neither should you or I. He gave up his will. He gave up his rights. He gave up his control. He gave up his religion. He gave up his reputation, and he gave up his righteousness. And we need to do the same. We are to have a light grasp on this world. The world is not supposed to have a hold on us. We're supposed to have a light grasp on this world because, you know what? You know, you know why I say that? It's because... Your homeland is not here. Once you got saved, and Paul knew this, once you got saved, your homeland is heaven. You know what? But you live in a colony on earth. It's kind of like, let me put it this way. You're a United States citizen, but you also live in Puerto Rico or the Philippines or the Virgin Islands that are, that are English. You know what? So, so what is it? You're, you're from the kingdom of heaven, but you live, you live in a colony of heaven on earth. Like a U.S. citizen would be living in Puerto Rico. It's a colony. It's not a state. Same thing. Our citizenship is heaven, and that's what Paul's saying. He gained new righteousness, he gained new power, he gained a new goal, he gained a new hope, and he gained new knowledge, and that should be for each and every one of us. And I'll continue um, next, next week. Um, we're going to start at, at verse um, 11. Start at verse 11 next week. So I did 1 through 10 this week. Um, Listen, I thought I was going to get through this chapter, but when the Lord shows me deeper things as you're up here, you know, then I'm going to spit it out. And if I offend you in any way, you know what? Here, I told you I wasn't going to tickle your ears. I told you I'm just a messenger. You don't shoot the messenger. If you have a problem with flaunting your homosexuality, your drunkenness, your adultery, your fornication, your lying, your drunkenness, your drugs, then you got a problem. You don't flaunt your sin. According to the Scriptures, you are to repent of it. That means turn around and go the other direction. So God bless you.
tough message, but it needs to be heard today. I'm not telling you what you want to hear. I'm telling you what you, you need to hear, everybody needs to hear. Father, tonight we thank you and praise you, Lord, because you are the Lord God Almighty. May we have the same zeal that Paul has for you in this life, in this age, on this earth, realizing who we really are and who you are to us. Lord, to you be the glory. I praise your holy, holy name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Tune in Sunday, 10 a.m. I love you all, and so does God.